You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Trust this is where the Lord has us for today. Um, I really went back and forth on the Lord and whether this is where you... The hardest thing when you teach and ask anybody who teaches is trying to discern the mind and the will of the Lord on what he wants you to teach on because there's so many different subjects you can teach on. And, you know, when the Lord leads you to a certain subject, uh, you're like, well, is that really where you want me to go, Lord, or is that just me that wants to go there? And with this one, this message today that we're going to be, that we're going to be talking about is essentially a salvation message. And so I was really going back and forth, like, Lord, do you want us, do you really want us to talk about this on Sunday? Do you not want us to talk about it? So the mini-series, I guess you could say, that we're going to be doing, I, I labeled Confident Christian Living for the next few weeks. Confident Christian Living. And so, you know, as I was thinking about this and going over this, I, I very easily could have gone to the lesson that we were going to do next week and just skipped over this one or briefly mentioned it, but I felt like the Lord really wanted us to spend some time in this because you can't live the Christian life confidently unless you're sure that you're a believer, right? <laughs> so that is the basis of everything else. So I really trust that this is the word the Lord has us. And we'll talk about some other things today. But let's get right into this. It's going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 19. We're not going to cover all these verses today, but we're going to be picking out some verses throughout here and talking about them. So let's go ahead and go from verse 1 through verse 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if your earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon with mortality. Mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought of us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the thing done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore that the terror of the Lord we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in, appear in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one die for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live, should henceforth live, not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him, no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling to the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed 
unto us the word of reconciliation. Let's pray. Our dearest Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning where we can come before you, Lord, and get into your word. I just pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word today, God. And I, I trust that what we'll be going over today is what you have for each and every one of us here, Lord. For, for, for maybe someone that's here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, or, or especially, Lord, through the avenue of online, Lord, as we broadcast across the world, if there be someone listening today that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would make that decision today, Father. And for us as believers, that we rejoice in the fact that we know that we are going to heaven with you when we die someday. Just bless this whole, this whole time, Lord, and we give it to you. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. There has never been a time in world history, I would say, when people needed to hear and claim the promises of God as desperately as they do today. The overwhelming emotion that is felt in the world today is the emotion of uncertainty. The emotion of uncertainty. There is uncertainty about politics, especially right now, right, in the direction our country is headed. You know, the mainstream media told us during this whole time that we can be confident in our secure election process. And I think we've seen that we can't be confident in our secure election process. So we are told we can be confident in all these different things, and we are just, you know, our confidence is being, sh our confidence is being sh are shaken in all these different things, and there's just so much uncertainty. You know, we, we think about what if, what if, uh, Biden and Kamala Harris get into the White House. What, is that, what does that hold for us in the future? What does that hold for our freedoms and our liberties and religious persecution and just the uncertainty that surrounds just politics alone today, right? So the uncertainty in politics, of course we have that to deal with right now. There's uncertainty about the virus. That's the age we live in, you know, uncertainty about this whole virus thing. During this whole COVID thing, the, they, they've told us to, to place our confidence in the experts, right? Place your confidence in the scientists. Place your confidence in, in, in quarantine. Place your confidence in masks. Place your confidence in all these different things. And I'm not saying that all those things aren't good and that they don't work and that they don't have their rightful place because I think they do have their rightful place and a lot of those things do. But the point is, is the truth is, even if all these things did work, the fact of the matter is someday we're all going to die. And we can't get around that fact. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to protect ourselves and our life from, you know, possibly us getting sick and dying. But the truth is, someday we are all going to die. Now, obviously, that's not to say we can be stupid, you know. I'm just saying, that's the reality. Is someday we're all going to die. So, considering the fact that, you know, death is going to come upon us eventually. This is why for our first lesson, I wanted to talk about the thing that is more important than anything else, and that that is our confidence that we can have on where we will spend eternity. The list of uncertainties in life will always and has always been a long list, but where you will spend eternity should not be on that list. It should not be on that list. Get that secure. We will see today that we can be certain about where we're going to spend eternity, but there are many things in this life that we cannot be certain about. And, you know, even though there's many things that we cannot be certain about, that is because we are simply human. We don't know the future, do we? We can't, we can't tell what's going to happen in the future. But who does know the future? 
The Lord does. God knows the future. And that's the wonderful thing about that is because we, it forces us to place our confidence in him, trusting that he will lead us exactly where he wants us to go. And through that, he blesses us and gives us peace. We may not know the future, but God does. And we can place our confidence in him. Even with all the uncertainty today, we as God's people can live with confidence if our life is based on God and his word. That is what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And I want to look at a few different things in the next few weeks on what we can place our confidence in and how we can have confidence. Of course, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list because if this was an exhaustive list, we'd have to touch on every truth of God's word because what is our confidence really in? It's in this book right here. This is where our confidence is in and the promises and the truths of God's word. So we're going to touch on a few things in the next few weeks, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you, although it is obviously not an exhaustive list. But obviously we are going to start today with the most important thing, which is confidence in our salvation or eternity. That is the subtitle of today's lesson, is Confidence Through Salvation. Let's consider the Apostle Paul for a moment. His life was filled with uncertainties. Filled with uncertainties. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28 Paul speaks of his many sufferings. And just let me read those for you real quick here. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. In the, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings, and in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that, which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I think it's clear here by reading this the, that the uncertainties that Paul's experienced were much greater than probably the uncertainties that you and I will experience in this life. Many times, Paul did not know where he was going to get the food for his next meal. I'm sure shipwrecked at sea, he wondered to himself, a night and a day have I spent in the deep. He probably wondered to himself, is this it? Is this, is this the end? Is this where God takes me? You know, how many times was Paul beaten to the point of almost death? How many times? Many times Paul was beaten. Many sufferings has Paul had to go through. And, you know, I wonder how many times of those he was like, is this the time that God's going to take me? Is this the time that God's going to take me? Just the uncertainty, right? As Paul was getting ready to go into a new city or to take another missionary journey into a new place, just the uncertainty that surrounded that, what is going to happen? What is God going to call me to suffer through this? What is he going to bring me to? Just, just his life was filled with sufferings, never knowing what the next deep trial was that God was going to call him to. Just that uncertainty that surrounded everything that he was doing. He experienced a, a major amount of uncertainty and uncertainties about what, what, what was God going to call me to next. These, the Apostle Paul's life was filled with uncertainty. Considering all the trials and sufferings that Paul went through, he had to always be wondering to himself, what's next? Even with this huge amount of uncertainty the Apostle Paul had in his life, he was still able to have complete and total confidence. Complete and total confidence. Let's look at verse 1 of our text and see what he says. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul was saying, even if my body were dissolved right now, even if, boom, I vanished and I was burned up or whatever happened to me, no matter if I was killed right here on the spot, if this body was, was dissolved, I have the confidence and I know that if I were killed right now, I would be in heaven with my Father. He had that confidence. Paul was confident. Paul was confident that no matter what God had for him, in the end, he would be with his Lord and Savior. Let's look at verses 6, six through 8 of our text. 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, we are always what? Confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are Confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that as a Christian, when he died, he would be absent from the body. Yes, he would. But for him to be absent from the body meant that he was present with the Lord. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We all know that verse. The word Paul uses in verse 8 to describe his firm belief in this truth is the word confident. I am confident. He was confident that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Isn't it a great feeling to know that no matter what happens in this earth, we can have that confidence as Paul had that confidence. You know who doesn't have that confidence? Unbelievers. This world, they do not have that confidence that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That's why there is so much fear in this world, not only over the virus, but over so many other things. But especially as we've seen over this virus, the world is so terrified and fearful of this thing because they are not confident about where they will spend eternity. For us as believers, we should not be fearful of that. We should not be fearful of dying because we know where we're going to spend eternity. We have that confidence. If you cannot be confident about where you will spend eternity when you die, there is no way for you to be confident about anything else in this Christian life. That is why it is absolutely essential that the first thing that we address about confident Christian living is confidence in your salvation. Faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is the very foundation upon which we build the rest of our lives as believers. If that foundation is not established in your life, it needs to be established today. For me personally, for some reason, I, growing up, always struggled with my salvation. It's just something that I always struggled with, and I hated it. I always struggled with, am I, I, knew, I knew the truth of God's word. I knew what God's word said. I knew the plan of salvation, clearly, growing up in a pastor's home. But I always struggled with whether I was saved or not. It was just always a struggle for me. And I don't know if, as I was, because I was such a bad kid, if, that, if that's what always made me wonder if I was saved or not. Because that was... <laughs> 
Yeah, I figured I'd get an amen on that one. Um, but I was, all, I was such a bad kid. You know, I was always doing these bad things. I was like, man, am I really a Christian if, I do, if, if, I, if I'm this bad all the time? So I struggle with that as, as a kid a lot, whether I was saved or not. But even into, my, even into my teenage years, I still struggled with that. Lord, am I really saved or am I not saved? I believe, I believe the plan of salvation. I trust Jesus Christ as the only sacrifice for sin. Am I really saved? I just always really struggle with that. And, and, and it caused me, and I went through times, at times I'd be like, yeah, I'm absolutely saved. And I would have confidence in that. But then other times I would not have confidence. And during those times, I would really struggle in my Christian life to live for the Lord and do what God wanted me to do because I did not have that confidence. Satan would bring lies into my mind and he would tell me, the, the, the lies that he would whisper, whisper to me would be, are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you did everything right? I mean, I mean, think about it. Every part of salvation, did you, did you really mean that? Did you get every part perfect? Are you sure? You know, the wonderful thing about the gospel is the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of believing in Christ. But you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to complicate it. So he will tell you all these lies in your mind. You'll be like, are you sure you did it right just this way? Are you sure you really meant that from your heart? Are you sure you really believe? Are you, I mean, look at these things that you did. Would you really have struggled with those if you were actually saved? I don't think so. You're probably not saved. And so Satan would continue to whisper these in my mind, and I struggled with that for so many years. And then it just finally came down to the point where I was just like, listen, God, What's happening is I am not trusting that you are powerful enough to keep me saved. I am not trusting in your strength to keep me saved. And God gave me some verses from the Bible. And I remember that moment. I just ended up breaking down and weeping before the Lord because that was the time that I had the confidence for the rest of my life that I knew that I was saved. And my life has been different since that point. If you do not have that confidence, you have to get that confidence. It will change your life. And if you don't have it, Satan will continue to tell you lies. If you, if you doubt your salvation, you need to get that taken care of with the Lord and get that confidence. All right, next, we're going to look at the miracle of salvation. Salvation is the greatest miracle Jesus Christ ever did. When you, when you think about all the miracles that Christ did, he did a lot of miracles, a lot of really incredible, amazing miracles Jesus Christ did on this earth. If you go through them, if you ever did a study of Christ's miracles, just some amazing, amazing things. But nothing even close to the miracle of salvation. That is the greatest miracle Jesus Christ ever did, was the miracle of salvation. Salvation is the greatest miracle Jesus Christ ever did. Why is salvation a miracle? Because through one man's death, all have access to eternal life. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 of our text. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we judge that if one man died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Died for all is repeated twice in these verses. Died for all. Now, it doesn't say that unless you did this or unless you did this certain sins. Now, different places in the Bible, it will list out certain sins for certain different things, but not when it comes to our salvation. There is no sin that is exempt from the forgiveness and salvation of Christ. Praise the Lord. No sin that is exempt. He forgives all. The fact that one man, Jesus Christ, had the power to die and pay the penalty of sin for every person that ever has, that ever is, and that whatever ever has, is, and ever will live on this earth is a miracle. That is a miracle. The miracle of salvation. 
Verses, verse 14 also says, if one man died for all, then we're all dead. What is Paul saying here? He is saying that Christ had to die for everyone. That means everyone was already dead spiritually and in need of Christ's sacrifice for sin. As we know, we were all born spiritually dead. Romans 5.12 says, wherefore as, one man, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Who is that man by whom sin entered into the world? Adam. I hope we can get that. That's Adam. Adam was the man by which sin entered into the world. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die. But here's the miracle. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. Praise the Lord. All shall be made alive. So because of Adam, we all are born with a sin nature. Have you ever noticed how, you know, we have all those precious kids over there in the nursery, all those blessed two-year-olds and, and everything. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that that no one had to teach them how to kick and bite and scream and, 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 and be angry and pull hair and get their way? I mean, where did they get all that from? Their parents? Possibly. But <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully they didn't learn, learn that from you guys. But where, where, where did they get that from? Well, that's their sin nature, right? That's their natural state. That's their sin nature that is born inside of all of us. In Genesis 2, 2.17, God declared, If Adam ate of the forbidden fruit, he said, Thou shalt surely what? Die. He warned him. He said, You will die, Adam. In Adam, sin and death passed upon all men, and all are guilty before Christ. Then there is Jesus, the second Adam. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the new beginning, the one who is without sin as Adam was intended to be. This Jesus, the Son of God, went to Golgotha, the place of death, and died as a sin offering for you and me to give us all a chance to be reconciled with God. So the miracle of salvation is found in the fact that even though one man brought death to this world, there was another man, the man Christ Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, who lived on this earth for 33 and a half years before going to the cross, despising the shame so that he could buy, pay the penalty for eternal life in exchange for eternal death for you and for me. By personally accepting Lord Jesus Christ as our payment for the sin on Calvary, we have a foundation that we can be confident in as Paul was confident. And even when this life is over and we are absent from our bodies, as Paul said, we can be confident that we will be present with the Lord. Salvation is a miracle because one man's, through one man's death, we all have access to life. Salvation is a miracle because God was willing to give his only son for our sins. Salvation is a miracle because Jesus Christ, knowing the pain and agony and suffering that he would experience, was still willing to be that sacrifice. What did he say? Let this cup pass from me, Father. Let this cup pass from me, but not my, not my will, but thine be done. Salvation is a miracle by definition because it is something that we could not do for ourselves. Salvation is a miracle because Christ was able to bear the sins of the whole world upon his shoulders. And just the thought of this one alone, just kind of meditate. I don't know if you've ever meditated on the fact that Christ had to bear the sins of the whole world on his shoulders. Um, we've heard multiple testimonies how when people got saved, they felt a thousand pounds lighter, right? 
that burden of sin rolled off their shoulders. So that burden that rolled off of your shoulders was on Christ's shoulders. And not only all the burdens that have been forgiven, but even all the sin burdens that have not been forgiven. The immense weight of bearing the sin of the whole world is obviously unimaginable to us. We can't even comprehend that. It could have only been the perfect son of God that had the strength to bear the sins of the whole world. I can't even imagine the immense pressure from bearing everyone's sins that had ever been born and ever would be born. Incredible. Salvation is miracle because a, a miracle because a guilty world is reconciled to God. Salvation is a miracle because a guilty world is reconciled to God. Let's look at verses 18, through, 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Definition of reconciliation is brought into friendship from a state of disagreement or enmity. What does enmity mean? I know you know that. What does en enmity mean? Enemy. enemy. It means enemy. We were brought into friendship from being an enemy of God. Ephesians 2.16 says, And that he might reconcile both unto God and unto one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Christ, sl Christ had slain that enmity on the cross. He had done away with it. Romans 5.10, for if we are, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Enemies. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So question, if reconciliation carries the idea of coming back together as friends with someone you were previously enemies with, how does that apply to us in salvation since the Bible says that we were born sinners, right? If we were born sinners, how were we ever the friends of God in the first place? So if we were never friends of God in the first place because we were born sinners, which means we were born the enemies of God, how would we be reconciled with someone that we were never friends with in the first place? Well, the doctrine of reconciliation is talking about the human race as a whole the human race as a whole. When God created the human race, it started with Adam and Eve, right? It started with Adam and Eve when God created the human race. Adam and Eve were created perfect without sin. They had perfect and pure fellowship with God. God was perfect. God created them perfect, and they were able to have perfect fellowship together with the Lord. Remember, God we are talking about the human race as a whole, reconciling the human race to God. As we have already talked about, Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God commanded them not to. And at that point, the human race became the enemies of God. We fell. We became spiritually dead at that point. The spiritual connection between God and his creation was severed. It was cut. 
Adam and Eve now had a sin nature, and that sin nature is what makes us enemies of God. That sin nature and death by sin, both spiritual and physical, has been passed through the blood of the human race, generation to generation, to every human that has ever walked on the face of this earth and has ever been born. Passed down through the blood. That is why we had to have Christ's perfect blood to cover our unperfect blood. Christ's sinless blood to cover our sinful nature. He was perfect. We were unperfect. The spiritual connection between God and his creation was cut. Moving down. There is only, you know, we, we talk about the different, you know, we, there's been different teachings throughout the years how, you know, God only saves. Obviously, that's not the teaching in this church, and I don't think for most believers, but, you know, God, there's been teaching throughout the years how God only saves a certain race, and he doesn't save all races, or he only saves a certain ethnic group or a certain kind of people. Well, that's not true. You know, we have all this talk about racial equality today, and we're talking about all these different races, when God didn't create races, did he? God created one race, the human race. And we should all respect each other equally because God did not, we are all equal in God's eyes. Yes, we may have different skin color, but that we all came from the same person, and that was Adam. We are all one race. None of this races stuff. Since the, moment of, since the moment of Adam and Eve's broken fellowship and friendship with God, God sought to restore that friendship and fellowship with the world and the human race as a whole. This is why the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died for the whole world. The whole world. In summary, the human race was once one with God, but the oneness, fellowship, and friendship was broken when sin When sin entered into the world, and in order to reconcile that friendship, Jesus Christ had to die to pay the penalty for sin of the whole human race. Jesus Christ offering his life as a payment for the sin of the world was the only payment that God would accept through the rep- and through our repentance of sin and our belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is the only sufficient sacrifice for our sin. And through our belief in that and our repentance, God will save us. And Jesus Christ's blood and his sacrifice on the cross reconciles us with God. That friendship and fellowship that God always wanted to have is restored. It is brought back to his original intention. God never designed the human race to fall. He never designed Adam and Eve to sin. Clearly, that's why he made him perfect. But he did design them with a free will. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm, that pesky free will that we have, that we can choose what we want. And they chose wrong. And since that moment, the human race has been fallen, and that fellowship has been broken with God. And God sought to bring that fellowship back and reconcile the world back to himself, and that was through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the payment for our sin to reconcile us back to God and get us back in fellowship. Our reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ's sacrifice of sin 
sacrifice of sin involves salvation, yes, but it also involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, um, when you think of being reconciled with somebody, I guess for me, the thought that came to my mind, the easiest thing to think of is um, the relationship between a husband and wife, right? So, you know, let's say the, husband, the wife does something to make the husband mad or the husband does something to make the wife mad. And if we're really honest, it's usually the husband does something to make the wife mad. That's usually, that's usually how it ends up being. And so, so once the husband does something stupid to make the wife mad, um, the wife's not very good at hiding that. So it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that there's uh, something between you two and there's something that's not supposed to be there and you don't feel reconciled with your wife whatsoever. And so you go, you, you go to her and you try to make it right and you figure out what's wrong. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know and we got to figure it out and that's a process in and of itself. But then once we do figure it out, we try to reconcile that. We ask for forgiveness and then the wife says, yes, I forgive you. And you're like, okay, great. It's, that's, that's it, we're done. It's over. And then 10 minutes later, you go, you go to have a conversation with, with, with your significant other, and um, you're still getting the cold shoulder. And you're like, oh boy, <laughs> we are not reconciled. I thought this thing was over, but it is not over. <laughs> okay? And so then you've you got to try to, you know, further investigation is needed. And I'm sure we all know how that is. But anyhow, when we're reconciled to God, that's, that's not how it is. When, when we're saved, God is like, yes. We are reconciled. And not only does God save us, but he immediately seeks to have that precious, sweet fellowship restored with him. He wants to have that personal relationship with us right away, immediately after salvation. The miracle of salvation is that Christ didn't just save us from the penalty of our sin and say, okay, you're on your own. See you in heaven someday. No. He didn't do that at all. He reconciled us to God, which means after salvation, God wants us to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And we are quickly running out of time. You know, we're not going to talk any more about this fellowship and a couple more things, but we're going to get more into this next week. That's actually going to be our lesson next week is comp our confidence through fellowship. The confidence that we have through fellowship with God. We're going to talk about that next week, Lord willing, unless he leads me in a different direction. But as far as right now, that's what we're going to talk about next week, is our confidence through fellowship. Okay, I wanted to go over verses 17, but we're not going to have time to do that. So we're going to, we're going to head and go right down, and we're going to close up with verses 18 and 19. So let's look at verses 18 and 19. And they say, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and imputing their transgressions unto, not, excuse me, not imputing their transgressions unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now there's two things that I want us to notice there. Notice first how the Bible says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Second, God has given us the word of reconciliation. Every believer has the ministry and the word of reconciliation. This is the word of reconciliation right here. 
This is what shows us our need and the world their need for Christ. This is what shows us how we can be reconciled back to God, is this book right here. And God has tasked every one of us with taking this to the whole world. That is our ministry. God has given that to us as believers. We have been tasked with the Great Commission, not just missionaries, not just evangelists, not just pastors. Every single one of us has been tasked with the ministry of reconciliation, showing the world how we can be reconciled to God and brought back to that state of fellowship with him that he always desired us to be in. We are to be the ministers of reconciliation, taking the word of reconciliation to the whole world. If you do not have the confidence where you will spend eternity, if, if you do not have that confidence, you need to get that confidence today. I know for me, it was a struggle for many years before I got that confidence. And I don't want that to be the case for you. There's no reason for it to be the case. There's no, with the promises of Scripture, there's no reason to doubt your salvation. If you are doubting your salvation or if you've never been saved, find someone and work that out. And most importantly, work it out with the Lord. That's what I had to do. I knew the truths of Scripture, and I had to go to God. And I, just had, I just had to cry out to God and be like, Lord, listen, what? What? Why? What, what is happening here? And it was through verses in Scripture that he showed me that, listen, it is through my power that I keep you saved, okay? You believe in me, and I will, do the keeping, I will take care of the keeping you saved part, okay? That's my job. And so from that point, I trusted in the Lord, and I, I've had that confidence. But you cannot live the Christian life and live a successful Christian life unless you have that confidence. And if you don't have that confidence, man, there's nothing else that you can have confidence in in this world because if you don't have confidence in your eternity, everything else just fails in comparison. I mean, that is the most important. Having the confidence through salvation. Next week, we're going to talk about, Lord willing, as I said, confidence through our fellowship with Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.